1: You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by m Bank, your partner in possible. Who you do business with is more important than where they're located. Bank from the comfort of your own home with M-Prize Bank. Coming up, the latest episode of the KC Laboratory podcast with Ken Swanson, Craig Stout, and Matt Lane. Coming to you on the fastest growing sports media network in Kansas City. You can find all of our channels covering all the local teams wherever you listen to podcasts or on YouTube. Just search KCSN. And now, the latest episode of the KC Laboratory.
2: It's a live edition of the KC Laboratory presented by Emprise Bank member FDIC. Appreciate them and all they've done to support KC Sports Network. It's been an absolute blast working with them. Uh, it's been an absolute blast to work with my two two dear pals. Uh, first, find him on Twitter at Maddie underscore CaseySN. Maddie, like we've been doing this for like five years now. This is just no. We I,
3: just started the cheeseburger scale. What are you talking about? Oh, that's a good point. My bad. <laughs> that's that's all. That's all that. That's all that matters now is the cheeseburger scale. Everything else is done. We're gonna have to try to find a way to pigeonhole the cheeseburger scale into everything we do. From here on out, I mean,
4: yeah, everything before this is technically BC before cheeseburger. Um, it's just not <laughs> how we're referring to it. So, yeah, I look forward to my breakdown of Spags' defense ba- based on a cheeseburger scale. Uh, how how the wide receivers performed based on a cheeseburger scale. Justin Ross's, uh, you know, pre-training camp videos. We're gonna rank them based on the cheeseburger scale. It's gonna be wonderful. This is great. Oh, yeah. So, what's
3: the hill? What's the what is the cheeseburger for the hill run?
4: Oh, uh, a solid three and a half cheeseburgers out of five. You'll notice that the cheeseburger scale doesn't always stay the same. Sometimes it's
2: numerical. That's that would be a Maddie Lane concocted game right there. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button if you're watching. Appreciate everybody that's hanging out with us. We are continuing our assessment of the roster needs for the draft, etc., moving forward. Um, and we are doing the defensive end position, only the defensive end, not the entirety of the defensive line, Matthew, uh, okay, uh, let me hold on. Okay. Yeah. We're going to make sure we're all on the same page today. Uh, and then in the running back position. So those are the two positions that we're going to be discussing. So the first question off the top of, of the, off the head, um, on the Andy Reid cheeseburger scale, one, uh, great being town topic above average being Westport flea market averaged below average being what and McDonald's being uh, ooh, ooh, bad. Uh, where does the edge position stand on the Andy Reed cheeseburger scale? Hmm. I'm going first, I suppose. Um, I, just asked I really, really wanted,
3: I wasn't listening to you. Um, I really, really wanted to put it into the Westport Westport flea markets range. However, the, here's the issue. They have like three defensive ends on the roster, maybe four if you want to count Malik Herring, right? It's like, they don't have enough bodies to really, I think, be that high. So like, we're looking at Charles O'Minohue, we're looking at George this Mike Dana, Malik Herring, and then like, nobody else after that really counts right it's really hard to go ahead and put them above average based on the group of players they currently have so i am gonna go with the whataburger right now but this is the thing if you get one more person in the car one more person that you care about in that car you guys are driving right past whataburger and heading down to the westport flea market to get your burger so frank wants to jump in carlos dunlap wants to jump in we're cruising right on by because we got that one extra body we can rely on. Just until that happens, I don't think I can go higher than a Whataburger.
4: And I thought you were going to go maybe fringing on the McDonald's Whataburger line a little bit there. No, because, yeah, I like
3: them a little more than that.
4: Okay. I, I mean, I I I'm maybe a little lower on this group. Just a, just a little bit because – I look at it as a guy in George Karloftis that I like, but a guy who, you know, is a little bit later in the rep as a pass rusher, is getting home. Charles Aminihue gets there quickly, but isn't like the greatest, you know, run defender and, you know, as a full-time player has not always shown the most. So then you're looking at Mike Dana, who is kind of a jack-of-all-trades type of guy. You don't have a guy that you can rely on that is going to win all the time. I like George Arminty or I like Charles Arminty and George Karloftis a lot, but I don't look at those guys and immediately say, "Oh man, that is a that is a good solid pass rushing tandem." As a matter of fact, fact, defensive ends a little bit better about it because it's just it's lacking some overall top end juice and it's lacking the ability to have a guy that can win on all three downs. So because it's lacking that because you're probably not going to get a guy like that, I would like to see maybe two more specialized guys, a a better run defender. That's just kind of out there to absorb some early down snaps. And then maybe another guy that's more of a speed rusher. That's going to pressure a little bit more as a defensive end. So I'm a solid Whataburger maybe towards the bottom end of that right now just because I I just think that they need, A, yes, more bodies, like Maddie said, but maybe a couple of other guys that have more, I don't know, more trump cards in one element or the other than they do right now.
2: So we have a Whataburger with optimism, a Whataburger that might be a little bit cold from both of you so far. Um, Before I give you my answer, I want just a very quick hitter. Where do we believe last year's defensive end group stands on this scale with Frank and Carlos, Dana, Carlo, you know, Carloftis. Where where did that last year's group stand on the Whataburger scale? Maddie, real quick.
3: Um, I mean last year, uh see, what? I don't know. Okay, it's still it's still a Whataburger It's just, it's, it's a solid one. I don't know. It's, it's so hard because I like the upside of this unit better because of Charles Mm O'Minihue. I think he has more upside Mm -hmm. than everybody else we just said, but the trade-off is instead of just one upside of Charles O'Minihue, I'm getting the stability and the consistency of Dunlap and Frank Clark. Like that's essentially the trade-off that's been made. So like, I, I don't know. Oh, okay. Nope. I don't have anything for you. I think it's still a Whataburger. (laughs) I think it's still a Whataburger. I just don't, I don't know. It's hard for me to believe it. I've really bought in on Charles O'Minahue. So like maybe that, that's, what's really carrying my, my grade here. That's carrying me to the town topics. So like if the only exchange is Dunlap or Frank up to a Minahue, I think that's enough to push it over the edge. I just think you're getting a steady performance from the last year's group. If that
2: makes sense.
4: I just, uh, I don't know. I, uh, yeah, I'm still very <laughs> solidly a Whataburger on that group. Um, It was expensive too i think that's the other part of that Mm. that kind of hurts it was it was a more expensive group and so you know if you go back to where we were last off season we weren't sitting here going well between frank and carlos and george and mike dana and you know looking at these guys and saying okay feel really good about this group no we were sitting there going okay Maybe they make a mid-season trade for Josh Allen. Maybe they figure out a way to pry Brian Burns out of Carolina because we still thought that they needed that higher-end defensive end one. So I I don't know that they still had that guy with that trump card, and I don't know that we saw a guy with that trump card until maybe later on in the season, postseason, Frank at that point. So Mm -hmm. I I still think that it was pretty solid.
2: I look at last year's class, last year's group, and – my perception of where they started versus where they ended is you know i i probably was a little bit closer to mcdonald's than i was whataburger to start the season and by the end of it i was a solid whataburger with the airport and towards westport fleet you saw george karloff just make improvements you know you saw mm-hmm. mike dana make improvements frank clark finished strong and you know i'm more tempted to say westport flea than i than i than i can can believe right now because i believe in charles Amenahue, george karloftis going you know a, another year mike dana another year I, i'm i'm more optimistic than i've been um i know craig you want to jump in i'm I'm, yeah. I'm still going Whataburger, but i'm i'm closer to Maddie than i am than i am craig here
4: i think it's funny grayson here put in the chat said second in sacks last year in the NFL as a Whataburger. Yeah, I know. That 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 does seem weird to say. And I know that we – I'm sure we're going to have listeners that are listening to this later. They're saying the same thing. I agree. I agree. But a lot of that's Chris. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. whole defensive line changes this a lot more. Again, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of talking back to the offensive line thing last week, This it, it changes things a lot more if you include Chris Jones in this. We're just talking about defensive end. It is a little bit lower. It also changes things if we start throwing in Joe Cullen and Steve Spagnolo into the equation. We're just talking about the players themselves. I'm, I'm, I'm a little lower on these guys. Obviously, I believe this coaching staff and these guys are going to grow. It's, it's certainly a good room of hard workers, so I'm going to be very unsurprised if they exceed my ex- expectations, but that's just where they are right now.
3: But I think that's fair. Like, I get the question of like they were set. The team was second in the NFL in sacks. Like, how is half of that unit essentially being at a below average level? The thing is, which Chiefs defensive end was winning one on ones ever? Like, right? Like, we're talking about a unit here that couldn't win one on one pass rush reps outside of maybe Frank in the playoffs. Right? Like, that's the only time. That's the only time that you thought somebody was gonna win a one on one rep like at a reasonable time. Mike Dana's stunting and every yeah, every time Mike Dana stunts, he gets pressure. But when he's oh, just yeah. normal, no pressure. Done. Like they just they didn't win one on one. So I think that has to factor into it. They had to rely on games or coverage sacks. And like that goes into part of my thing of I think burger in this situation is being two things for the unit of last year. It's a safety net of it's solid. It's steady. You kind of know what you're going to get. So you're going there. Maybe it's not the best cheeseburger you ever get, but you know, it's not going to be bad. It's clearly functional. You aren't upset that you got it. Whereas this year, like I said, I think that you're just one more person away from taking this unit on up to the flea market. You you need one more guy. And this unit goes straight on by and gets a real cheeseburger that matters.
2: Well, that's where I, I want to go with this whole discussion is it, a yes or no answer. Frank Clark or Carlos Dun- Dunlap added into the fold. Does that bump them to a Westport flea market? Yes me, or no Oh Yeah, that'd be yeah. A, that'd be okay. a, that's what
3: I said at the beginning. Yeah, give me okay. one more guy that I can rely on. And yes.
2: Craig?
1: Uh,
4: I'm going to say no. I'm okay. going to say no. I, I just, uh, again, I I, I think... I think they need two guys if that's your addition. And I get why that would be the addition this year. I totally understand it. And expecting them to make a defensive end one move right now is unreasonable. I know that that's very highly unreasonable. I just think that at that point, I think you're basically equivalent to where you were last year. And you want to tell me that, hey, that group's good enough. Fine. I I, I understand it. But I do think that you limit some of the potential there.
2: Right, I've i got another question surrounding this that we're going to get to right
1: After this, you're listening to KC Sports Network. We'll be right back after this.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform.
1: Entertain, educate, inform. KC Sports Network.
2: Here's the thing, both of you. I I think the the idea of a, a Frank Clark, a Carlos Dunlap's a fantastic idea. I think it makes a ton of sense for at least one of them to be back. Mm-hmm. I think when we're looking at the totality of the roster, Mike Dana's on a contract year. Um, you know, Ch- Charles Benny who's here for two seasons. You're, you know, you'll have him and George Karloftis next season but you know i think as a as a need in the draft and as good business in the draft an early selection makes a lot of sense at the edge position so you know round 1 round 2 round 3 that's the discourse right but i want to know from you you know if let's 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 you know maybe we can like around 1 edge around 1 edge and and we'll start at the very top miles murphy seems to be falling a little bit um, a Miles Murphy edition. Does this push that? Does this push this group all the way up to a town topic? If you get a Miles Murphy at the edge position, along with Frank Clark, call it Matthew.
3: I don't know. I don't think. I don't think so. I don't think that just going. I think the Frank Clark edition, the Carlos Dunlap edition, ekes you just barely into the Westport flea market deal. And I don't know if there's a rookie, barring. Will Anderson at the very, very tip top here that I think gives you a whole tier jump like that. I Especially in his first year. You want to say maybe by like the end of his contract, these players are good enough to give you a full tier jump. Sure. But as a rookie, I don't think I'm buying into that. So when I would look at this unit as a whole, like Miles Murphy specifically, he's still a raw pass rusher that has never been dominant in that regard. He's never been a dominant pass rusher. He's a quality run defender, a quality pass rusher. How does that translate your very first season in the NFL along with the rest of this defensive wide? It's like, I don't think there's a real way for them to go from where they are now to the town topic, elite defensive end room. They would have to invest. They'd have to get lucky in the draft and invest a lot of capital into doing so.
4: Yeah. I think that that's the case. Uh, you know, I have an article up on KCSN daily. That's KCSN.substack.com. That's kind of mm-hmm. looking at Where edges fall, generally, when you're picking at the back of the draft, the types of edges, the types of production that you get from those people. I'm not going to go too deep into it. Go subscribe there if you want that. But basically, the only guy that has gotten picked at the end of that and has really turned out to be a true needle mover as a pass rusher is TJ Watt. And TJ Watt, year one, was a seven-sack guy. George Karloftis was a six sack guy last year. So cue the inevitable. Hey, look, George Karloftis is going to be, yeah, yeah, no, Let's you, go. Can, you can pump the brakes on that one. But, but no, I mean, even guys like that, that we look at as like the shining examples, the, the outliers for guys that you can catch at the end of the round, even in small trade-ups there at the back half of the, of the first round, it's just not guys that are massive needle movers. Those guys Almost always go in the top half of the draft, and you know the assets that it would take to go up and acquire that. That's just not something that Kansas City right now is probably going to do. I just I, I don't think that they're going to try and make a massive move like that, especially coming off of a Super Bowl here. So, no, to your point, Kent, I don't think adding both of those guys makes it into a town topic. Now, you tell me that Frank Clark and Miles Murphy get added to this, it is about the highest you know, Westport flea market burger that you can get from me. Because now all of a sudden you have young bodies. You got three guys that you can really feel confident in between Miles Murphy, George Karloftis, and Charles O'Manahue. If Mike Dana has another killer year, maybe you can't keep him at the price that you want. But if he has another good year, now you got four guys. You got a four-man rotation there that you feel really confident And really good about so i think at that point i'm looking a little bit more to the future i'm looking at current production and i'm seeing that those are kind of melding into something that can be a truly good group so in that instance i think that it would be kind of close to that that mark
2: i think uh you know i think miles murphy's the top of the potential you know he's the he's the he's the dream that probably doesn't hit but has a chance to potentially be in striking distance for the Chiefs or you know might fall. It seems like his his you know draft perception is kind of changing a lot the closer and closer we get to the draft. So he's kind of the top end of this. What's interesting, Matthew, without without previewing the entire article for the KCSN draft guide, which is available for pre-order and releases on April 5th. God. Uh, which is wednesday you can get uh 300 plus pages of chiefs specific draft content uh all it's it's 225 plus right also you get three months to the KCS kcsn substack that gets you case access to the kcs and discord all that good stuff it's only 12.99 the link to the description or link is in the description of the show right now if you're listening or watching it's right there for you to click to pre-order and you will have it in your inbox uh april 5th but you do uh, you know you've done studies on the preferred prototype for Steve Spagnolo with his defensive ends? And this year feels like a year where there are plenty of players that could fit the Steve Spagnolo threshold up and down this draft board.
3: There, there really is. Um, I think there's 15 guys that are a high fit, which would be the most since Steve Spagnuolo has been in Kansas City. These are guys that have gone to the combine. Obviously, you know it's hard to keep track of everyone that doesn't get official testing. But there's 15 players that would be considered a high fit, and that just means they perfectly fit into what these thresholds. It seems like Steve Spagnuolo likes to prefer. There is another 16 guys that would be considered medium fits, which is tied for the second or tied for the highest since Steve Spagnuolo's been here. So when you combine those two, that's a whole lot of defensive ends that are medium to high fit. Uh, Steve Spagnuolo in Kansas City has not shied away from these medium fits at all. It's not quite one-to-one, especially in the draft. He still hedges a little bit towards the high fit guys. Uh, And with the Chiefs, though, he's made a few more swings outside of the norm. And whether that is circumstantial, because you're picking at the end of the first round all the time. You're always picking late. It's really hard to get big, long, strong defensive ends at the end of the first round, because guess what? The entire NFL wants those guys, so it's kind (laughs) of hard to get them after everyone else. But two, you do have to wonder if there's a little bit of a change in his mindset. Steve Spagnuolo does adapt with the times. I know he's a little bit slower with his preferred personnel, but when you look at his coverage schemes and how he adapts, I think there are signs saying that, he understands football now isn't the same as it was in the early 2000s. So maybe he can't have an t- entire defensive end room full of guys that are six foot four, 270 pounds, that also have 34 inch arms. Maybe that's just not something he can build a defensive end room around anymore because guess what? Half those guys are playing tight end or wide receiver like nowadays. Like that's what they do. So I think there is some hope that he's changing to get some of your favorite speed rushers. But even if not, This class was tailor-made for Steve Spagnuolo. He's going to be happy no matter what round he's choosing a defensive end out of.
4: I do think it's funny that we spend so much time talking about Steve Spagnuolo's rigidity at defensive end, and then we turn around in the same sentence, which I fully agree with Maddie, and it's just like, oh, but the NFL loves all those guys, too. Like, I mean, (laughs) just historically, they go the average
3: combine NFL defensive end is a Steve Spagnuolo defensive end. Right, the average yes. defensive end with an like an NFL caliber RA relative athletic score is a Steve Spagnola defensive end. It's just other teams seem a little or way more willing to swing onto either side of it. Steve Spagnuolo has yeah. been a lot more rigid. But Like I said, I Correct. think that's starting to widen a little bit with the Chiefs than it compared to his time with the Giants.
4: I'd agree with that, and I think you know to Maddie's point with all those different fits that are there. I think that that might make Brett Veach and company a little more confident. Like we're talking about, we, you know, Kent alluded to earlier, miles Murphy around one edge. We're talking about it kind of in that vein. I don't know that they feel the need if that's there. Yes, certainly. You know, that's where the good ones are. You know, it's very rare that you get a defensive end to make significant impact after basically about pick 20 in the NFL draft lately. So You know, if they're not going to trade up and they're just going to kind of let stuff fall, why not take a swing on a guy at 63? Why not take a swing at a guy in round three? If the expectations are that you're going to come in there, like I said, eat up snaps as a run defender, be a designated pass rusher. You can do that. And Frank Clark and still get, in my opinion, to that Westport flea market standard. And you can add another body to the room. Add another guy that you can bring in the mix. I mean, when they drafted Mike Dana, that was a guy that we looked at and we went, wow, I what's he going to play? Like, there were conversations about him playing Sam Linebacker because he was so outside of the norms of it. Now he's a guy that we look at as an inter- integral part of the rotation, of this defensive end rotation, not just by necessity, but because he does so many things very specifically well. So there are guys like that out there for Steve Spagnuolo in rounds two, rounds three rounds four and you know so on in the draft i think the chiefs probably at least in my opinion aren't going to aggressively try and go out and solve this in the first round especially with the other spots that they have on this roster that need filled
2: i i yeah i tend to think if they're taking a edge at 31 it's just immense value fell uh and they don't care about matthews receivers um but I just, I, I could, there's just so many guys that I, I, I could see a scenario where I'm happy with them taking somebody at 63. I can see a scenario with them where I'm happy them taking someone at 95. Honestly, like dream scenario, receiver falls at 31, 63, you're getting one of those really nice defensive tackles and you're able to grab edge at 95. Like that's kind of, the, if I'm, you know, Brett Veach talks about pockets. That's the vibe I'm feeling. Sure. It's like, I think if I'm building it, it's like you're, you know, dream scenarios. You're catching like a Quentin Johnston. Then you're catching like a Gervin Dexter type. And then you're catching, you know, uh, I'm going to say Zach Harrison because I like Zach Harrison. Do you
3: know any other defensive ends for round three, Kent?
2: <laughs> yeah, I do. I just, <laughs> oh, I like okay. that. It's just his go-to. It's Isaiah, his go-to. we can throw an Isaiah Foskey in there. Like I could see him like God. Keon White. I don't love. Uh, there's, there's plenty.
3: Hot take, I'd take Keon White over Zach Harrison. Um,
2: I'm not so, surprised by that.
3: Uh, okay, so I I gotta respond to this real quick here. I think defensive ends in round one, I think it's gonna be hard to get a good spag, like a perfect spagnolo fit at the end of round one. I don't think that's your sweet spot for his type because the guys in round one that are his type, uh the, again, they're going early. L- Lucas Van s, Miles Murphy, Tyree Wilson. These guys are going to go early. Yeah, Will Anderson is another guy early, but he's close. Felix Anudike is almost kind of like your hope. That is your one shining hope if you want an edge in the first round that fits Spagnuolo's thresholds that might be there. FAU is kind of like the one guy you're going to hold on to. But when you're talking about one guy, is that really going to be the sweet spot? I think round two, three, four is much more likely if you're playing hard into these thresholds, if that is something that helps control the buckets for all of their draft. That said, it goes into my point here about a mid-round defensive end. I hate the concept of drafting defensive ends late in the draft. The hit rate in terms of them being like somebody that matters is extremely low. However, look around the NFL right now. Some of the best defensive lines aren't too deep. They aren't three deep. They're four and five defensive ends deep. And the best player, I mean, okay, the 49ers do have a Bosa, but look at the rest of their defensive ends. Samson Ekubon, Charles Omini. They are bringing in guys from other teams that didn't work out, and they're just piecing them around. Philadelphia Eagles. Hassan Reddick's their best player right now. Yes, they have a lot of investment on the D-line, but Hassan Reddick was their best player. He was a high but not like elite defensive end free agent, right? They didn't pay him $25 million a year. They just got a whole host of guys at the defensive end. So is this new age of being a dominant pass rush to just have a bunch of bodies, a bunch of able bodies that you rotate? Josh Gannon for the uh, Josh, John, I don't even know which one now, um, for the, the Eagles, his whole strategy was our guys don't play more than three snaps in a row so they can go all out for three snaps. Is that a new strategy to take? And if that's the case, is there a need to take a defensive end in round one or do you just get one in round three add him to the rotation and just have the same guy cycle through at this level. Just Is that a way the NFL's going is my question to you guys.
4: I mean, it could be like we, we look at even the chiefs last year, second in the NFL on sacks and it was Chris Jones and dudes. And we like those dudes. That's not to say that right. they're bad <laughs> players, but it's, you don't point to another player on that roster and you're like, Oh wow. That's where the rest of those sacks were coming from. There are rosters that you look at and it's like, there's this guy and there's this guy and then it's nothing afterwards. And that's not the way that it works with the Kansas city chiefs. There's, there is a, there is a real thread there. I really do believe that Maddie, that throwing waves at it, giving yourself the ability to rotate guys consistently. Steve Spagnolo really does believe in wholesale swapping out of the defensive line, not just drive by drive, but sometimes mid drives. They'll go four, five snaps in a row. And now all of a sudden you've got multiple guys coming out of the game. It's why when they face hurry up so much, you see some struggles. You really do. So I do think that there is a a real, you know, kind of a thread line there, a through line for that. That being said, I do think that the Kansas city chiefs are keeping their eyes open to that. I don't think that that means that they're just going to look the other way. I mean, hell, we, we've heard Nolan Smith's name a lot, especially from Joe Colin, especially, you know, as, as a guy that has kind of met with them as well. Nolan Smith is a super round one player and a guy that kind of goes against Spags's type from a size weight, you know, those sorts of criteria there. That doesn't mean that the chiefs aren't doing homework on a guy like that. So I do think that yes, Maddie, I think they'll, they'll take the right guy in the first round, but I don't think that to your point that they're just going to take a round one guy because that's where the good ones come from. I think they are more comfortable being a wholesale swap it team.
2: Let me, let me jump in on Nolan Smith here real quick too. Um, I think in lost in, I think some of the, the the Steve Spagnolo thresholds, you know, I think there's a ability to play the run, that matters when you are looking at a Steve Spagnuolo defensive end. I think a lot of the guys that you typically see are guys that have shown a willingness to play the run or are good at playing the run. You know, they play with a style that should translate well to them being able to play the run. Like there's not a ton of finesse in the guys that Steve Spagnuolo is typically draft it outside of these measurables. The exceptions come where there's guys that like a Nolan Smith who plays the run at an elite level mm-hmm. where I think you get a little bit more, grace a little bit more leniency in the decision making process i don't believe nolan smith to be off the cheese board um which and- is
3: which is wild because he would only be the second player to hit, miss all three thresholds for the steve spagnolo to play for the team and he would be the only player under 250 pounds and he's under it by 12 pounds he would yeah. be the most Not significant of significant outliers and let me be very clear 250 pounds isn't the threshold. That's a no player under 250 has played a, any significant snaps for Steve Smagnol at defensive end, and Nolan Smith is below 240. So it's just mm-hmm. he was the biggest outliers of outliers, and I agree with Kent that I don't <laughs> think he's going to be and I think uh, you can go directly look at who was coaching the Georgia Bulldogs during their pro day, Joe Cohen, and maybe get an idea of how you get to that point.
4: Yes, and on top of that, to both of those points, look no further than Mike Dana, a guy that they were willing to break the mold on because he was a really exceptional run defender. Right there, kind of aligns with everything. And there's, there's,
2: there's always going to be a few exceptions, I think. It's just that's a small pool, and because it's a small pool, the likelihood still of that guy being the eventual selection, it can be a little bit, you know. I think there was some interest in uh, Josh Uche a few years ago. That you know, those at Sig, he was 6'1", 245 pounds, near thirty four inch arms. That helped, but there are times where they're they're making some small exceptions. There, we're going to take a break. Did
4: the pass rusher, yeah, yeah,
1: that's true. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back after this. A sports network for today's fan, KC Sports Network, podcasts, YouTube, social media, live shows. KCSN.
5: What's up, Chiefs Kingdom? This is BJ Kissel, founder and CEO of KC Sports Network. With Kansas City on full display for the NFL Draft, what better way to celebrate our hometown than by supporting a charity that helps kids with special needs in our own backyard? Children's Center for the Visually Impaired will host the CCVI Trolley Run Sunday, April 30th to change the lives of students who are blind or have low vision. Now in its 35th year, the CCVI Trolley Run is a four-mile race that finishes on the Country Club Plaza the Sunday after the NFL Draft. This fundraiser is open to everyone and no athletic ability is required. Enjoy free beer after the race and snacks from local restaurants. We promise the KC community will be on full display. Visit trolleyrun.org and use code KCSN to get a few extra bucks off your registration. That's trolleyrun.org. Learn more at marines.com.
1: Entertain, educate, inform. KC Sports Network.
2: Hit the like button, hit the subscribe button if you're watching. Appreciate everybody that's been hanging out with us. Look, draft season's upon us. Uh, you do not want to miss everything that's going on at KC Sports Network. April is about to be absolutely insane. We've got series that you guys don't know about. We've got incredible uh, stuff for for y'all to see during draft uh, draft month so make sure you're hitting the like button subscribe button allows more cheese fans to find it and it'll notify you anytime some of our content hits uh hits the airwaves so i uh, appreciate everybody running back time it's time to talk about the running backs we're looking at the andy reed cheeseburger scale maddie lane where does the running back position stand in the andy reed cheeseburger scale
3: Well, this is perfect because we go from talking about how the Chiefs and other teams have already done and the Chiefs might be trying to turn the edge position into a running back by just having a deep rotation and no studs, and now we're going directly to the running back position. So this is good. Um, On the cheeseburger scale, okay, Isaiah Pacheco, good. Clyde Redziolaire, not so good. LaMichael Pirine, not so good uh <laughs> that they don't have not so good so again we're dealing with a room that doesn't have a lot of bodies in it so that already right there is going to place a like you already can't put this unit above average based on just the lack of bodies and then you start to piece together i love isaiah pacheco i don't know if i think he's this full complete three down running back right now that can do everything for you I think he's got a little bit narrower scope than I think Chiefs fans want to admit because he's a lot of fun. He is great at what he does well, but he doesn't do everything well. That's the only guy that's registering above a McDonald's level. And when you have two other dudes that are going to be McDonald's levels, this is a McDonald's room right now. This is a very McDonald's cheeseburger room because it's three guys, two of which aren't good. And the one guy that is good still is young. Improving, but young and fits a very narrow role. So this is, the fir- this is the first McDonald's cheeseburger I'm handing out, and I don't like it.
4: Oh, man. My I, uh, yeah, I'm going to go Whataburger. I'm not going to be as negative about the running back room, Whew. and it's entirely because of the way that Isaiah Pacheco grew as the year went along. That That is solely what I'm basing it off of, because every other point that Matty made, I fully agree with. Like, Clyde Edwards-Alaire can't stay healthy uh, obviously on the outside of this team right now. It didn't choose to celebrate a Super Bowl with them. was a not-so-healthy scratch, but still was a player that was activated and was around at the Super Bowl and was left on the bench as an inactive player. I, I, don't, I, I think that that says a lot about that type of guy. Um, we had high hopes for him, but he hasn't lived up to it. Isaiah Pacheco, on the other hand, Guy that needed to improve his vision. Definitely improved his vision as the season went along. Still has room for improvement, but definitely improved it. Looked much better with what he was doing. Didn't get a whole lot of opportunities to pass protect. We didn't love what we saw earlier in the season, but that's not to say that it can't improve, much like his vision did throughout the season. I think he can become a complete back. Some of the stuff that we saw, and granted, this was a year and a half ago or a year ago at this time, at the Shrine game made me believe that he can catch the ball well, that he can go out there and pass protect. We saw positive indicators on that front. So I'm betting on a lot of that stuff. And him improving alone brings it to that Whataburger room. But it is incomplete. It definitely is incomplete. I would like to see another pass catcher, whether that's Jarek McKinnock coming back or a guy in this draft that they just add near the end of the round or to the end of the draft to try and round out the room I think that that would be a very positive thing I would also like to see maybe a guy that's a more traditional runner if Clyde Edwards the is on this roster I would see him being kind of a backup guy on that early down scenario filling in for Isaiah Pacheco on occasion and that would be fine enough but I don't see a way for this roster to really get up to that town topic and it's entirely because they don't have a ton of bodies, and Isaiah Pacheco is really the only one that you can
2: trust right now. The line was too long at Whataburger, and so we settled on a McDonald's cheeseburger. That's what it is for me. Like I I I love Isaiah Pacheco. I everything around Isaiah Pacheco is just simply not good enough. And when you look at the running back position, very often it is done by committee. It is a, you know, it is a very, it's very much a team effort. Um, so I'm not overly excited about this running back room outside of, of, of Isaiah Pacheco. And I, I tend to agree with Maddie. I think it's a very specific skill set that is a good piece of a running back committee. But I think this committee is extremely incomplete. Um, the, I, I'll, I'll throw this out here. Um, I don't know if I've talked about this on air, but I love Jarek McKinnon. He's like sneakily been one of my favorite Chiefs the last couple of years. Very, very big fan of him. I was watching the Super Bowl the other day, watching him doing the dirty work as a blocker in the red zone on Isaiah Pacheco's touchdown run. We've seen mm-hmm. the incredible pass protection. All of that being said, he's very much on the wrong side of 30. Uh, like all of us in this show are including Matthew don't let him tell you otherwise um and I I just even if they like I'll I'll just I'll say this if they bring Jarek McKinnon back maybe it moves it to a Whataburger but it's still incomplete to me when I question like Jarek McKinnon did not have as much juice as he did last year and I want him back and I want him back in some capacity I wouldn't like I don't know what that means exactly, but I think longevity for the entirety of the season is going to be a big question for him next year. If he is on this football team. And I still think you've got to insulate yourself a lot better than just a Jarek McKinnon, you know, Isaiah Pacheco battery, maybe, you know, and we'll see what happens with Clyde Edwards, helaire but this is a very incomplete group for me, which look, if I, I'll let you guys jump in, but like, this is the easiest position to have an incomplete group heading into April. Like, honestly, you know, you, they'll be, you're going to win a billion football games, whether or not this running back position is complete or not, but it's going to make their lives a little bit easier if they have a little bit more support in that group.
3: Uh, I, I think, so we've got a lot of stuff about McKinnon and about Melvin Gordon. Both are technically still free agents right now. Um, so they're not part, they're not on the chiefs roster. They're not being included in the cheeseburger scale, but you can put both of them on this roster and they still barely squeak to what burger for me. I, I'm with Kent. I, I think Jerick McKinnon was really good last year. I think you should still bring him back. He can be your pass protector. He can catch the ball. You rely on him. He's trustworthy. Watch him run. He has lost a gear and a half. He has lost half of his acceleration from zero to 60, right? Like, He quite literally, he just doesn't have it. He's injured. He's older. Like it's not there. And it wasn't even evident in the playoff run. It was in the regular when he was going through his tear of touchdowns, it was still evident. He did not have the same juice. He even had the year prior in Kansas city. Like, it's just, I think it's going to, I think his juice, his speed is going downhill quickly and there's still a role for him, but it's, again, it's very limiting And the upside to it. Doesn't matter. Like it's still just solid. So, Even if you add those guys, I think you're still in a Whataburger range. And that's the issue when I look at this group. This running back group as runners, not just as pass catchers, because that's even still up in the air, but as runners, they have one pitch. It's Isaiah Pacheco going 100 miles an hour into a wall. If there's a hole there, he's going through it. If there's not, he's going to try to make a hole. But that's it. That's the one pitch this running back group has. There isn't tempo. There isn't patience. There isn't like uh, nuance to a lot of the running right now. It's one pitch. It's straight at you. Maybe it's outside, like it's a straight line. It's coming at you fast. That's all they got. There isn't another step to it. So yeah, like I said, I'm pretty solid on the McDonald's the way it is right now. I I think even if you add just Melvin Gordon, you're still McDonald's. Maybe Jarek McKinnon, because I trust him so much, you can get up to that Whataburger range, but it's still not very solid to me. Like I'm with Kent. This unit needs help or does it because it's running backs in Kansas City and it just simply doesn't matter.
4: I do love the 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 thought that popped into my brain there of Trey Smith having an Isaiah Pacheco sized hole in like the the side of his body there because Isaiah tried to run through him that's that's a very pleasant thought in my brain. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. And Isaiah Pacheco can get the job done. They're going to find a guy. Uh, Brett Veach told you last year. The running back rooms coming out in college right now. Basically, you're going to find 1,000-yard rushers in round seven now. He's telling you right then and there, we don't need to invest significantly in the room. We don't need to add a whole bunch of bodies. We'll just find a guy to fill a role, and we'll rely on him throughout the season. Yes, Isaiah Pacheco was a massive surprise to them, I'm sure. I'm certain that even with Brett saying that, that he wasn't thinking, oh, yeah, he's going to be a 1,000-yard rusher this year, which he was with the playoffs (laughs) included, but... I do think that he felt feels very comfortable finding guys in that role. I do think this room is incomplete. I think they'll add some guys. I don't think that we're ever going to look at it from the lens of this is a stud running back room and we feel great about it. The last time they tried to do something like that about it with Clyde Edwards, the it didn't work and it, it hurt a lot you know, to to kind of carry that around for a little while. I don't think they're going to make that mistake again. So I think we're always going to be looking at this room as kind of a Whataburger-ish area. And that's perfectly fine with the way that the Chiefs office is set up.
3: Just be a Whataburger and not a McDonald's though. Like that's, that's yeah. where I come down. Be a Whataburger and not a McDonald's. And I think that's the issue right now.
2: Yeah. And, but uh, there's so much time at the running back position to fix it and to address it. And, you know, I'm looking at a bunch of former chiefs that are still out on the market. And like, I think the best, the big investment that she, and I'm going to say big investment, the move that you should make is whatever running backs are available after the draft. Take a look at them, you know, take a look at, you know, if a Kareem hunts out there, even you might want to look at him. Uh, but more realistically, Daryl Williams still available, former chief Daryl. I'm sorry, Daryl, uh, the barrel Williams uh, still out there. Jarek McKinnon Abrams
4: isn't in Vegas anymore. I get less excited about that move.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. But I mean, as for a guy that is just steady, stable, good in pass protection, can catch a swing route, reliable hands. Like, you know, Daryl Henderson's a guy that the chiefs, you know, were interested in last year. And, you know, he, he's a different dynamic than I, Daryl Williams, but I'm sorry, Daryl, the barrel Williams, but, I mean, these, there's still some guys out there sitting out there that, you know, can help make a group better, make a committee better in a running back room. And then there's the draft. They're like, I, I I'm not a, I I don't, I don't know if I want to wait till round seven necessarily. I Round like some, somewhere in day three, are you an early day three running back guy? Or are you a late day three running back guy, Matthew, when it comes to this group? I,
3: it doesn't matter. It's a running back. Um, <laughs> You know, like, well, no, it's just great. I guess this is what it boils down to me. Now, this is what it boils down to. It's all about a value. And with running backs, it's so hard to choose value. We all know Bijan Robinson is going in round one, or should. I think Jameer Gibbs should go in round one, but like, okay, he's a lock for the top 50. After that, I think it's just a lot of like, who's going to get the value at the type of running back they want? You want to tell me that Devin A. Chain is sitting there at the end of round three and the Chiefs want to take a shot, a chance at that speed? I, I can't be mad at you. You would tell me that Tank Bigsby's there at pick 122 in the fourth round. I love Tank's Bigsby as a runner. I get it. There's not like one elite trait other than I think the fact that he's just the best like pure runner after Bijan Robinson in this class. I wouldn't be mad at it, but it's just running backs and value have to be married together. And so I'm not taking a running back until the value is a minimum one plus rounds. I got to be getting one plus rounds of value to take a running back. If not, I'll sit there and take Eric gray at the end of the draft. I'll sit there and take Kenny McIntosh or Xavier Valaday late in the draft at the very last round or whenever they're available, because I just, it's not a position I'm going to chase. I'm going to get plus value on or That's it.
4: Okay. So I'm going to phrase this because I've seen this question asked before, and Sophia Serrano asked in the chat here. Discuss the positives of KC drafting Bijan Robinson. The last time the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, they drafted around one running back. Turns out they drafted the wrong one, but that's running back. And that running back did not go to the parade. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Bijan Robinson, though, um, th- th- just real quick, we'll touch on it. it- Kansas City's not doing this, first of all. Famous last words by Craig Stout right there. I think think we're good this year.
2: I think we're good this year, Craig. I I I think we're
4: good this year. But the positives from that, he's probably the best first-round running back to come out since, what, Saquon at this point? Got the ability to do a little bit of everything at a very, very high level. Has plenty (laughs) of athleticism. Has good vision can literally do just about anything. And the only reason that he would be available at 31 is just because teams are looking at the running back position and saying, we don't need to invest high picks in this position anymore, even if it is a talent that only comes around every five years or so. So in that instance, you are drafting that guy and you are playing him basically every down. You know, you you are giving him the rock a lot. He is becoming an underneath weapon for you, and then you are trying to lean on the run game a little bit more. All of that is anti-Andy. It really is, and I truly believe that they would not be doing this, but the positives of that, it opens up stuff deep. Teams need to put a guy in the box because Bijan Robinson running into Patrick Mahomes' light boxes is death for defensive coordinators, so... There are a lot of good things that could happen by drafting a truly talented running back. And I've seen this conversation asked elsewhere. So I thought I'd throw it out here since we are talking about the running back room and we probably won't talk about Bijan again. What is the real positive that comes from making a move like that?
2: Hmm. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't I, I know it, I know the negatives. Here's the thing: like, okay, it, we so, got a laundry list of those. <laughs> the set it, the set it, forget it mentality is something we discussed with Clyde edwards alaire in the argument around a first round running back the last time that this happened. When it did happen, we sat here and said, "Look, this is a guy that they can trust all three downs." He's, yeah, we were so excited. The miss about Clyde was athletic. We always say athleticism doesn't matter until it does. It mattered. It mattered big time for Clyde edwards alaires evaluation. The guy that went right after him at the running back position was the freak athlete, and he's been insane. Um, Bijan Robinson is a high-level athlete, so when you're looking at the success of a Bijan Robinson as a runner, I think you're you've got a higher floor of potential for him as a runner um, than maybe like if we're j- comparing it to the Clyde Edwards Ed- edwards uh selection and career arc um so the threshold for success i think is higher with the athletic profile There was things that you liked about the the passing game and all that stuff i mean we that you got out of clyde that was a little bit different that you were hopeful we're going to translate so you've got the athletic profile that's decidedly different he is the best pure runner of the football in the last several drafts um yeah you know and i mean I'm not going to compare him to Jonathan Taylor, but I think career arc could very well be similar to a Jonathan Taylor from an on-field projections perspective. I think both of them have similar pass-catching chops coming out of college. They both are violent, physical, dynamic athletes um, that are really good running the football. So uh, if you want to point to what this offense would have looked like with Jonathan Taylor instead of Clyde, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, you'd be finding out with Bijan Robinson, I think.
3: I think Bijan Robinson is a lot better fit for the Chiefs offense than Jonathan Taylor was. Jonathan Taylor ran zero RPOs in college, still hasn't really in the NFL. I <laughs> think that we downplayed that in terms of a fit with the Chiefs offense a lot going into the draft process. And do I think he could have figured it out? Yes, but we downplayed that a little bit, I think. So I think that's worth noting. I think Robinson, and he's a better prospect than Jonathan Taylor is too, right? Mm-hmm. So. If the Chiefs were to draft him, if you're somebody that hates the idea of drafting a wide receiver early and you think Patrick Mahomes can drag water boys to being productive and you want to build the team like the New England Patriots built third dynasty, you are happy that they drafted B. John Robinson because you now have a new piece of the offense to funnel the game through. There's your answer to what happens when Travis Kelsey has to retire. You have your offensive weapon. You just taken the ball out of 15's hands because that's apparently what you want to do with no weapons for him to throw to. But that's the plan. You ask me, I, I agree with most of what Kent said there. I think that's correct. I think Bijan Robinson in Kansas City would work. I don't think it would, Clyde. I think it would work. It's just, would it work enough to be worth around one pick compared to any other position? I disagree. You want me to get real tinfoily, Jameer Gibbs would make more sense because I can go put him in the slot and have him run a route. And Ooh. like we just did this with Clyde edwards but like I have actual proof of Jameer Gibbs lining up in the slot and running a route versus a DB and beating him. I don't want to do it. I just, if I were to want to keep the ball in Patrick Mahomes hands and draft the running back that I like, and I like Gibbs more than most people. I think he's a lot closer to Bijan than uh anybody, a lot of people give him credit for but, like, that's the guy with lean towards. Cause I could use him as actively as a wide receiver. All this being said, please <laughs> don't take a running back. <laughs> please don't do this to me. Get a wide receiver. It is 2023 we are post cheeseburger. We are after cheeseburger. We are AC right now. Like, please don't draft a running back in round one. Please do not do it. Get weapons for the quarterback. Don't try to get a guy to take the ball out of the quarterback's hands.
4: They're not, they're not drafting a running back. I just know that a lot of people brought up Bijan, especially going back to the Clyde thing, especially with the chiefs needing another body in that room. Figured that that would at least be a conversation to have that. Probably not a ton of people are having right now.
2: It was worth having Uh, or look. And it gives us a chance to look at the entirety of the draft board, which is what we're doing. Jameer Gibbs is there at 63. The Chiefs take him. Maddie. are you excited? Yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, I just talked about why. So, like, yeah. I mean, like, I know. That, Maddie, that, I just. That, Maddie loves no, Jameer.
4: Maddie, no, Maddie I would do. look at think, him as like a plus one round I, guy. I got
3: my plus one round value. It's like on the very edge. I want more than a plus round value. I think Gibbs is like right at it, but like we're close enough. He's really good at football. Like I think people don't think he can run the ball. And like, I don't know, man, go watch, go watch Alabama play Texas A&M. The guy can run the football really darn well. It doesn't go down to contact. Like if you think he's a little bit smaller, but if you think Alvin Kamara is worth, anything for the saints. Like if you think he mattered for the saints, then you think Jameer Gibbs would be a good pick in the second round.
2: I think Alvin Kamara mattered for the saints. Uh, The next time you guys hear from the laboratory, it'll be April. Can't wait. It's going to be so much fun. We're getting so close to draft season. Thank you all for listening. We appreciate you hit the like button, hit the subscribe button on the way out. We'll catch you later.
1: Thank you for listening to KC sports network. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard you can find all six of our channels covering the chiefs royals sporting kc and the kc current plus ku k-state or mizzou by searching kcsn wherever you listen to podcasts we're also on youtube entertain educate inform kc sports network